about what we're reading, watching and listening at the same time. I'm Sasha Kelly. I am a podcast producer, a nomadic podcast producer, uh, currently residing in Sydney, currently sitting opposite my wonderful co-host, Laurel Henning. Laurel, introduce yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Laurel Henning. I'm a journalist based in Sydney and we're sitting at my dining room table and Sasha is wearing the dress that is the WhatsApp emoji of the dancing lady in the red dress and it's just giving me so much joy. Welcome to episode three of season two. That is exactly why I bought this dress too. I said I will look like the emoji woman and that is what I've always aspired to in my life so why not? Laurel I'm throwing you straight in the deep end. What have you done this week to make friends? I've been to a real life party. What? I went to an actual party. Oh my goodness. I can't remember the last time I went to a party. Oh, no, I can't. Sorry. (laughs) There was a genuine moment as I walked up the stairs and I thought, how do we, how, how does this work? How will this go? And definitely moments during the evening where you've seen those like skits that SNL have done and people like that of like the small talk after COVID of like when you're trying to make conversation with people for the first time. Definitely had a few of those moments, but it was wonderful. It was a friend's birthday and kind of housewarming. And um, yeah, there was dancing. There was a disco ball. Oh, that sounds so joyous. And I'm really rather jealous. There is nothing like an amazing house party. Yeah, so I think that was friend making in terms of real time with real friends because I I feel like a lot of what we're talking about sometimes is how do I get out there and meet new people and I think and I'll get onto this maybe in my listening segment as well but a lot of what we talk about is how to meet new people not necessarily how to take that acquaintance into a deeper friendship so that was time spent with with good friends Um, but I also wanted to continue my swimming theme just ad nauseum Um, off the back of my ocean swimming lessons a few weeks ago I enrolled myself in euphemistically termed stroke correction classes at the local pool that's brilliant isn't it yes I'm just imagining you (laughs) I know this isn't the, the case and I know this is highly offensive but in floaties and your big goggles and maybe one of those lovely shower caps that women of a certain age wear so (laughs) well you're not that far off though Sasha because our swimming lesson the swimming lessons at this pool all happen at the same time so we're going up and down the lane age 20 something to 30 something and in the lane next door are like eight-year-olds with their kickboards absolutely smashing it down this lane beside us. Or then they're racing at the end and we're all just kind of laughing to ourselves about how much faster they all are than us. And we could all swim. It's just that we're trying to be more efficient or maybe we're training for something. Um, but it's just been a really nice experience over the last six weeks. And most of the time it was just me and two lads with a Z on the end, uh, Tom and Paul. And they were just great, great bunch of lads. And uh, we, had a, we had a great time. And there's nothing, there's nothing like stripping back your social, your social uh, inhibitions, like appearing before someone for the first time in your swimming costume and just being like, yes, hello, my name is Laurel. Good, <laughs> good to meet you. But it's been really good and I've really enjoyed it. Oh, that's wonderful. That sounds so exciting. And 
I think um, we could do a whole spin-off podcast on pool etiquette and <laughs> well, the best can... accessories for your swimming routine because I have also just become a hardcore, um, like there's just nothing like the mindlessness of going up and down and the laps in the pool. Like I just find it Absolutely. so restorative. But I've really enjoyed hearing your stories about the lads. Yeah, the lads. And we should do it. We could. We really could do a side segment because there's this point when the lesson ends and the lessons are only like 30 minutes. And then the teacher, who is genuinely half our age, will say, okay, well, that's it. We're t- time's up and done. And the three of us just sort of look at each other. And I think if we could fall out of the pool and into a pub and have a beer together, we probably would. But we haven't really made that transition into out of the pool friendship and so instead we just stand at the side of the pool afterwards for four like I was about to say 40 minutes for like five minutes me wrapped in my towel because suddenly I feel quite exposed and all having this sort of conversation about you know what what's next week and what are we doing and 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 all uh, yeah you were so invested in my story you weren't ready for it to end and I feel the same about my swimming lads Sasha what have you been doing collect yourself what have you been doing to make friends this um look I can't say that it was a successful friend making activity but it was an occasion I left my house was surrounded by strangers made small talk and left at the end of the day having felt like I'd socialised for a period of time. Which is a challenge in these in these COVID times that we live in, is socialising your brain. And I also just feel like it was, yeah, it was an achievement in and of itself to just have done that. So for Christmas, my brother got me a voucher to go and have an art lesson. And he'd researched this teacher in Glebe area um, that had come highly recommended and, and she was fantastic. And so it was a day, the only session I could end up doing was um, a drawing class on a Sunday and it was a full day and all utensils and utensils, all the um, equipment was provided. And oh, it was just such an excellent day and it was such a varied mix of people. There was um, a woman who I would say would have been in her 70s or 80s who had said she hadn't painted or she hadn't done any drawing since she was maybe 20 and she picked it up during COVID as a kind of re re-energizing and looking back at what she what brings her joy and she said you never stop learning and I I believe that I can I need to get back and just practice every day and then some people I I think I was one of the youngest there um definitely in terms of also like it's been quite recent since I've had art lessons so it was just such an excellent kind of cross-section and then at the end of the day which was such a nice activity but quite daunting we all had to turn our still lives around and then we went round one by one and all had to say what we loved about each other's work we did actually the the art class i enrolled in when i moved to sydney did exactly the same thing yeah and it is a very yeah vulnerable making experience and i think i mean i'm sure you can identify with this laurel but as a very um i would say high achieving individual who (laughs) likes to be good at things thank you for that yes i can 100 (laughs) percent identify with this Uh, All of a sudden, after all day, just thinking, oh, this is, isn't this great? You know, it's all about the shape. It's all about the form. It's all about the learning experience. Mm. And then my art turns around and I'm like, I want to be the best. I want everyone to praise my artwork. Um, I want the gold star (laughs) stuck on mine at the end of the day. 
But I've got to say, I, I just was in the presence of some other really extraordinary artists, even though everyone was really around that intermediate, beginner to intermediate stage. There are a couple of people in my class where I went, oh my gosh, you've got such an excellent mm. eye for things and just the the way they played with things. Anyway, I just got very excited, very inspired. Highly recommend just going and doing, as you said, you know, one day thinking I wouldn't mind getting a little bit better at this. Someone will challenge me. Someone will make me think differently about this hobby or practice that I enjoy. Let's give it a go. Mm. So Love with that... that in mind why don't we start with watching because i'm talking about a visual medium so we'll move to the other visual medium that is the screen well i'm gonna jump on it yeah what have you been watching i having finished with my gorgeous friend Maeve watching and just like that we had a sort of fortnightly date on a monday evening i'd finished my swimming lesson with the lads and i'd stroll on round to Maeve's house and we'd watch an episode or two of them just like that and then we finished it and we said to one another what's next and then we both said well Pammy and Tom have you been watching this the series oh it's just clicked yes the one about the sex tape with Pamela Anderson and Tommy Tommy Lee. Lee tell me about it I haven't watched it so far but I adore Lily James who who among us does not adore Lily James. So, we started watching it. This is on Disney Plus, I believe. We've only watched the first two episodes, and we, Sasha, are we are all in. We are all in for the '90s glamour, for the rock and roll, for the drug taking, for the sex, for everything. It's just so the excess of the '90s is hard to remember in these horrific times that we're now living in. But that period of just like rock and roll artists were gods and could do anything they wanted to because yes, there was paparazzi, but we didn't have camera phones. And well, they lived to tell that tale, didn't they? (laughs) But I just, yeah, the, the whirlwind marriage. I mean, they got married within, I think, 96 hours of meeting one another. Really? In Cancun. Yeah. He, he, so they meet in a nightclub and then he she has to go to Mexico for a Baywatch junket to syndicators and then he flies down and then they're going out and like every night well two nights I guess and then on the second that's night that's what fits into yeah, 96 hours he's just like marry me and she says yes and they go off and they find someone who'll marry them in the morning on the beach in their bikinis her and her bikini and they run off into the sea and then they land back in um Hollywood and they're sort of like oh uh right okay so we actually don't know each other at all and now we're trying to navigate a future together oh my goodness that is that's a new level that's a new detail that I wasn't aware of I mean for me Pamela Anderson is just red speedos you know just how she managed to look so good running (laughs) the running we sound like Chandler and friends I know they're running but it's I think Also the fact that, so that period of the 90s and her style of glamour and sex bombshell appearance is also very tied up in my mind to the fact that at the age I was when she was on Baywatch, I was playing with Barbie dolls. And I think because she did just look like a Barbie doll, I remember thinking, aged six, that she was just the most beautiful person, thing I had ever seen. Yes, the transformation of Lily James is mind-blowing and exceptional and Sebastian Stan is just crazy hot um so (laughs) back 
to just crushing hard on the male leads in all of the television that I that I watch apparently. Um, but yeah, I think she hasn't signed off on this project. Pamela Anderson hasn't, and I think Lily James tried to contact her to um, try and talk to her about the role, and she didn't answer the phone and didn't hasn't want anything to do with it, and, and feels quite re-traumatized by the making of this TV series. And there is a discussion to be had around that and around all of the things that are being made about 90s celebrities, especially 90s women, um, that we've had recently on various documentaries and TV series. But this is a really favourable for her, I think, telling of this story, and which I think really deserves to be told when all we remember of that... Like, I don't feel like comparatively Tommy Lee had to live out the repercussions of this the way she would have done. And in the opening scene of this series, Pamela Anderson, Lily James, is being interviewed on uh, Leno, I think. And he's interviewing her on live television about the tape. And you just think that is the most mortifying. And you can see her sort of, the way she's acted it, she's sort of giving him this sideways look of, I can't believe you're asking me this question. But she has to answer it. And I just... Yeah, TV in the 90s and culture in the 90s was just a wild and different place. But what have you been watching, Sasha? Well, I... First also, of do all, you want to talk about... <laughs> I do want to talk about it, but I haven't watched it. But I do find Pamela Anderson just such a fascinating figure. She because is fascinating. She's fascinating. I think because of the sex tape, you know, she is someone who... We don't really know what might have happened. She might have been a Dolly Parton, where it's because... I think I grew up with always having the caricature of Pamela Anderson in my mind as like, that's not... She's astonishingly beautiful, but she kind of fit into that Dolly Parton aesthetic of, but it's not really what I'm going to grow up to look like or anyone that I kind of know Mm. is going to grow up to look like. But there's something cartoonish about it. And I think in that way that you're talking about Barbie, you look at her and you think these two things look more similar than I look to her. And with both of them, there's a real childishness that for her, I think, um, or an innocence, I think is more what I mean, which for her in watching the TV series, it definitely she definitely seems like at the height of her fame, like a '90s Marilyn Monroe. Yes, that was the other name that was springing mm. to mind when I was talking about it. But I don't want to wait, get waylaid on Pamela because I'll have to watch it and have up come up with my own opinion. I've been watching, um, and I squealed with joy when I saw this. I'd watched the first four seasons and I wasn't aware there was a new season. Then I checked my stand the other day and I went, oh, the cover's changed. That's interesting. Did I miss something? Lo and behold, nine new episodes I didn't know about. And I'm talking about one of my favorite shows in the world, The Good Fight. Have you watched The Good Fight? I haven't. I think it's one of those series that I've just like never quite got to, but heard a lot about. Okay, convince me. Go. Okay, so I'm going to start with my origin story. And that's because I got into The Good Wife, which I'd always avoided because I thought it had a terrible name. It was always scheduled after Offspring on TV. And so one evening I watched Offspring and then I just kept watching TV And the episode I happened upon was a seminal episode where a major character dies. And I was in floods of tears after 20 minutes. And I thought, what is this show that I had never heard of and has somehow made me a wreck on my sofa? And I had never had a relationship with it before. So 
I fell in love with The Good Wife and The Good Fight is the um, part two. So it follows uh, the, the, the partner of the law firm um, who's played by Christine Baranski, Diane Lockhart, into her kind of second wind of her career. So first of all, I love it because Christine Baranski has got to be I mean, I think she's a contemporary of Meryl Streep. So yeah. she's got to be Mama 60. Mia, contemporary of Meryl yes. Streep. <laughs> so she's got to be a, in her 60s, I think. I'm going to look up while We're you're gonna Google that. talking about it. Um, the other major character in this particular season is Audra McDonald. So they often come up with reasons for Audra to, um, I don't know, maybe sing her child a lullaby because she is one of the greatest voices of our time. She's 69 years old. Oh, wow. She is astonishingly well put together for 69. I just love it because it definitely passes. It's the Bechdel test, isn't it? Yeah. It definitely. We talk about this, considering we can't remember the name of it. We talk I know, about every Bechdel time we can it. never remember it. It definitely passes that because the two main characters are just these powerful women who really prioritize their careers. Christine, um, sorry, Diane Lockhart. Um, one of the central kind of push and pull in this series. So The Good Wife always um, stayed away from politics, even though it's set around politics. It kind of didn't make references to contemporary politics that much. But The Good Fight has really lent into it. And a lot of this season and last season was about Trump and coming up with like really, it's hard to say, but kind of surrealist um, alternate realities Mm. um, of the one that we currently live in. And kind of really playing upon a lot of conspiracy theories and, you know, um, it's very hard to describe without watching it. But it's just brilliant. This last season, there's a specific scene that I watched last night and I actually audibly said, oh my God, when I was watching it. Which I can't say that I often talk Mm -hmm. to my TV on my own. But essentially what they did is played out what cancel culture would look like if there was a reality TV show based on a real court where people were cancelled as it as is in a courtroom wow okay um and it was just the most entertaining eloquent surprising but really odd mishmash of ideas all put together and I came I I found it really challenging and really interesting and I think Judging from our off-mic conversations, Laurel, you'd really enjoy this series. And I think also, having had some messages from friends who are listening, I think it's one that I just heartily recommend. Also, Diane looks fabulous and her house looks amazing. (laughs) And I think just for the kind of what I would wear if I had a lawyer's salary, it's also worth it. Uh, Two things. Do you need to watch... The Good Wife to watch The Good Fight, are they necessary? No, you don't. It helps, I think it helps you have an affinity and a love for some of the characters. Mm. Um, But they do do, it's quite a different show. It's a very different feel. So I think there would potentially also be people who loved The Good Wife and don't like The Good Fight. Okay. It's really moved into, I would say surrealist is, a surrealist satire is the direction that it's kind of moved into. And point two is I think you need to uh, resuscitate your um, Instagram cribs discussion for Sydney. And I think you need to do it as Diane. (laughs) I think that sounds like a really great idea. Where would Diane live? That's what we need to find in Sydney, Diane's new, new house. Oh, and also this season is... So 
there's because she's just a character in the previous in the good wife um this is just a sidelined part that she falls in love with she's a staunch liberal feminist mm. who's of um you know the ilk of ruth bader ginsburg and then she falls in love with um she falls in love with a legal expert a professional legal es- expert who on guns um and he's a republican and a trump supporter and it's just a really beautiful portrayal as well about how people can be in love with each other and disagree on absolutely everything. Um, so I also just like seeing a bit of romance for a woman in her late 60s. It's we don't just see great. it enough. <laughs> we need to see it more. Well, that's great. Um, Sasha, I'm going to keep you on the hot seat. Ooh. What have you been listening to? I've been returning to someone who I might potentially have recommended before. And this would be um, the only thing that I've been listening to that hasn't been actively work-related. And that's Max Richter, the composer. And I've been listening to his Sleep album and his Voices album. Now, his Voices album, I'm not going to go into the full... Um, is this a throwback to episode one, I Is believe. it? It must be, because I think I recommended his Four Seasons um, reimagined then. I do, look, I when I'm stressed, that's where I go back to, because I just find his music so calming. And that's why I said the Sleep album. He actually wrote it, it's a full eight hours, and it is designed mm. for you to play while you go to sleep. But I have been playing it when I get really stressed and I just need that kind of high frequency anxiety to just come down a couple of notches. And I just find it really helps me, um, refocus, recenter. And, and, you know, especially when you're writing things and you're, um, mm. or you're kind of sorting through your emails and you're just thinking, I just need some, like a balm. Mm. And I did, I was going to say the voices, um, album as well. Cause that was one of the last concerts I went to in London before the world ended was um, the premiere of his Voices album. And I remember leaving with a friend and saying, I just feel like I've been a, in a bath for the last hour. Like one of hour. those floating chambers. Exactly, because it just felt... It, then I don't want to say it didn't feel challenging because I think that that's kind of being dishonest to his level of talent. But I do think... I think as a listener, it's just endlessly inviting... And so, uh, yeah, I'm just medicating that for anyone this week. You're prescribing <laughs> that prescribing to you it, yeah. if you what, need a balm. What about you? What have you been listening to? I have um, honourable mentions and main mentions for listening. Oh my goodness. I have so much to say. I just have so much to say and I'll just get right into it. But while you're talking about returning to Max Richter, I was thinking of you and episode one earlier this week because I put on some Philip Glass, which I think you recommended yes. in the same episode. Because we had our first listener question. Mm. So what? What should I listen yeah. to? Yeah, oh, so it must have been our second episode. Mm. Yeah, it was just searching for something. I have pretty set things that I listen to when I work. And I suddenly, similarly to what you were describing, I was feeling a bit stressed. But I really do, I really do work well with a bit of background noise. And as you've witnessed, when you're in my apartment, you get a lot of plain noise. <laughs> so I want to just block out anything like that. And I just want to go into my own little world. And Philip Glass really is beautiful for that as well um just getting lost in that piano sound that is not my listening recommendation so i also want to say that we had a uh, listener message from karis who wanted to say that she loved your obama listening segment from last week and 
Sasha is. I'm fist pumping. Fist pumping like there's no tomorrow. Um, now I've just gone back to stroke correction in my mind and the euphemisms abound. Sorry, mum. Anyway, Karis loved your Obama listening recommendation. She read the book and she was saying that she really loved your recommendation and for the second um, part she now fully intends to listen and she kind of wishes that she had listened I think to the first part so solid recommendation for you oh I feel so chuffed there you go yeah my main listening is a serious one and I'll be bringing the tone all the way down to current affairs when I get there but I want to give honorable mentions in both my listening and my reading in fact I think this is my main reading recommendation to things that are very on brand for us honorable mention for listening is uh, came from my good friend Thea and she sent me this episode um, saying this sounds like exactly what you and Sasha talk about on Three Wheeling. Thanks for being a regular listener. It was an episode of the podcast Everything is Fine. Do you listen to this podcast? Oh I feel like it's ringing a bell but that could also be because I say the phrase everything is fine quite frequently so I could be confusing it with my own language. Yeah, so the hosts are Jennifer Romolini and Kim France. Now, Romolini was interviewed on Emma Gannon's Control-Alt-Delete last year in an episode called Something Like Finding Your Inner Weirdo, which I really enjoyed, and I'd recommend that as well. But in this latest episode of Everything is Fine, they speak to um, Dr. Miss Jean Franco about her book Platonic, The Surprising New Science of Making and Keeping Friends as an Adult. It's almost like they knew what the podcast was about when they decided to write the book. I completely agree. I really enjoyed the um, conversation they had about the need for vulnerability and when you're trying to make new friends and how, especially to get from, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, from acquaintance to proper friend, to deep friendship, you have to really suspend your insecurities and operate from a place of, most people are coming from a place of compassion and kindness most people are probably going to like you. You're probably going to like most people. Um, sometimes you're not going to like everyone and not everyone is going to like you. That's okay. And yeah, I think rather than sort of thinking, well, I haven't heard from them, so they can't be interested in being my friend. If you really want to be that person's friend, you reach out, you go for it. And that can be hard if you feel like you're always the person who makes plans and is organising. And I've definitely had that conversation with friends frequently who feel that way. But I think... Yeah, I think sometimes our own insecurities and our own chips on our shoulders can get in the way of that deeper connection when we're meeting people for the first time. But... What's the gold star go to? The gold star really has to go to, obviously, um, current events. um, Where we are at the moment, one, the day that we're recording, we're a week into um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But as a journalist, I just really want to highlight the work of the BBC, specifically the BBC World Service, their team of correspondents that are all across Ukraine and Europe at the moment, something like this highlights why public broadcast journalism is so important and is how we know that these things are happening. And I am just so in awe of these journalists. And um, yeah, I think you should tune into the BBC World Service if you're trying to be up to date with what's happening listen to BBC Radio 4's Today programme, which for us in Australia starts at about 5.30 in the afternoon. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's a very upsetting and intense time. And I think there are people doing 
an incredible job and they should be recognized for that and um yeah also while we're here and i might pop this in the show notes if you're interested in backing any journalism projects there's a newspaper in kiev called um, the kiev independent and they have a gofundme page to um back their journalism and reporting on the ground of current events um so i'll i might put that link in the show notes and also save the children has a ukraine crisis um campaign at the moment two things for me there on my listening so yeah I thought that was so beautifully said. I think it's, um, I know that uh, through my work, we've been talking about how to balance between still offering information that's about the current world events and how that's affecting markets and people's money and people's portfolios, but also being sensitive to the fact that it is a humanitarian disaster and it is, you know, a crisis Mm. um, for millions of individual people, not just your stock portfolios and I think sometimes it's a very overwhelming a very overwhelming landscape to move through of of how do you keep your how do you keep maintaining your job and what Mm. you need to be doing there but at the same time not taking on I don't know what I'm saying here no I think you're having you're having a very similar editorial discussion to what's happening in our own news organization as well when you don't report on current events in terms of political news but you report on things that are directly impacted by what's happening in Ukraine at the moment, it's very difficult to figure out how and when is an appropriate moment to raise the topics that definitely will need to be raised and reported on in terms of this is going to have a huge impact on global markets in the short, medium and long term. Um, This is going to change uh, supply routes for things and that is going to change market structures, which is what I end up reporting on, Um, and then competition in those markets and things like that. Now is not the time to write those stories, but there will come a point when those things need to be discussed and regulators and governments will need to interact with those issues. But yes, it's a very difficult thing to to interact with as media organisations. Yeah. And on that note, I'm going to dive into my reading. I read and finished a book this week, Laurel. And I think it's been a long running theme that I've had such a, a reading rut throughout the whole of COVID. And I've, I'm also, it might not come to, as a surprise, but I'm one of those people who's very like all in, all out. So I do struggle a lot with books because it'll either overtake my whole life mm. and there won't be one moment when my eyes aren't in the book or I find it very hard to just keep that consistency of reading a chapter a night going and, and they kind of get halfway through and then completely mm. don't finish it. Yeah. So I actually read, I hope you haven't recommended this. I didn't remember if you had, but you... You don't, I, you mean you're not like following up on everything I, I recommend? I do, but <laughs> I feel like so much of last year kind of moved into the the wash, the great wash of my mind. But I finished on Love and Virtue by Diana Reed. I haven't read this, but people I know and love, love this book. I'm recommending it because I found it quite a, I wouldn't say straightforward read in the sense that it was not well written. I think there's particular parts of the prose that were really beautifully phrased, but I wouldn't say necessarily that it's an original novel. Mm -hmm. It's a campus 
um, novel. There's a term for it. Uh, campus fiction. Oh, I campus think, fiction. I think, that is an, I think that is a genre. Yeah, yeah. which um, until this book had come out and there was a lot of kind of um, reviews and PR about it at the time, I didn't really realise that that was a genre in and of itself. I'm going to read the Guardian wrap-up of it because they do a far better job than I did when I was trying to think of how I'd summarise this on the bus. They say, this is a book that deals with unrequited love, the deconstruction of social and political class, the unpacking of power and sub and subordination of romantic relationships wrapped in a coming-of-age narrative. It's also an excoriating indictment of rape culture on Australian university campuses. Um, I think in light of, you know, the cultural conversation that's been happening specifically in Australia over the last year, and I won't kind of sidetrack the conversation by going into that, but it does deal with um, rape and sexual harassment as a kind of a central theme of the book and um, the conversations that happen around that and kind of the context that allows those kind of things to happen and become normalised. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a light read when you're not feeling robust. Um, but I did think... How did you read it now? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just, I think it had been so... Um, it had been so talked about, like it's been really yeah, it everywhere. Has, and has. I thought, oh, um, and a friend of a friend actually went to university at the same time that the author did. Mm. And so it is kind of, I mean, this is very allegedly hearsay. I'm going to put that over the, um, before I say this, but apparently there are quite a few, um, truth is stranger than fiction. You know, there's quite a lot of elements that were taken from, um, the author's time at college. Okay. Look, I just found it a particularly elegant way of looking at university culture. I read A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing last year and I hated it. Yeah, that's, for me, that falls into this bucket of, it'll be like Sally Rooney and I just, I don't understand why books can't stand on their own and... I did not enjoy that book. Yeah, so I'd say that this is the book that I wished A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing had been. Oh, now you're interesting me. Okay. Yeah, I found it very... Um, uh, it was full of the regular tropes, though, of, like, a clearly very beautiful woman who doesn't think she's beautiful, and then the way she... Because it's self-narrated, you don't really understand how beautiful she is until, like, kind of pieces of the puzzle put together halfway through and I kind of that's the Sally Rooney trope that I hated from normal people where all of a sudden this stunning model is playing a character who's supposed to be plain and you're going what's happening to my inner um my inner imaginings um and I did find that um the epilogue uh for anyone who has read it I did find the epilogue like maybe a little clunky or a little kind of um in my dreamland, this is what would happen. Mm. I think I would have preferred them to have, um, they're kind of, she does a foreshadowing of what would happen in decades to come. And I think just like in Harry Potter, when JK Rowling imagined them all grown up, I said, no. We didn't need it. We don't need it. Leave them as they are. I, I would prefer that they existed in my memory as, as these characters as kind of timeless and that also leaves the door open for you to rediscover them in decades to come like if you know if you want to pull a um who wrote the handmaid's tale margaret atwood if you want to pull a margaret atwood and just suddenly write the sequel that no one knew they wanted but everyone has to have you know that's the kind of thing i'm 
I think you should do. But, you know, I haven't written a novel, so who am I to say? So, on that note, what have you been reading? Well, to bring everything back to swimming, as my life, and apparently yours now too, revolves around... Diana Reed is her name, right? Yes. Yeah. She uh, wrote a beautiful piece uh, for The Good Weekend over, I think it was over Christmas, and it was all about how she took up ocean swimming. I think this is right. She used to be a lap swimmer, and then when COVID hit, she couldn't go lap swimming, and so she became an ocean swimmer. You know, you're the second person in a week who has recommended this article to me. It's without knowing who the author is and kind of just um, going, oh, I read this amazing piece about swimming on the weekend. It's obviously just out there. It's Pisces season. (laughs) Sorry, continue though. I have finished reading, finally, a book that I was very kindly given uh, post-breakup and that I am determinedly going to buy for myself now because I feel like if I don't have it on my shelf when I eventually start dating again... It, just because it's not on my shelf, my relationships aren't going to work out, basically. Like, I'm very superstitious about this book, apparently, in my mind. But the book is Attached, and it came highly recommended to me, and has been highly recommended by me and others to other friends of mine who have since read it. Um, and it's by Dr. Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Hellier. I think it actually came up in a book club discussion at least one or two years ago uh, because when I posted about it on Instagram one of the book club gals got in touch with me and she said oh my goodness what do you think of Attached and we had a really good conversation about it and I think her points are actually what I'm going to repeat here because I think she put it so beautifully but I think what it does is first of all it helps you understand your um, communication and your attachment style how you communicate and relate to other people not just in romantic relationships, but in friendships, in your family. Where your attachment style has come from, it is not a fixed thing, it can change, and it makes you view it as someone who is clearly an anxiously attached person. (laughs) No prizes for anyone guessing that. It helped me feel not negative and not stuck and not like I am always going to be too much for someone. And it helped me put language to how I feel and how I behave which is a very empowering thing because the importance of that language and the optimism of understanding your behaviors means that you can recognize and address your behavior and it means that you can better let others know why you're behaving how you are what you're going through and what's going on and also on that note if you are looking for a post breakup tool I am evangelical about this app It was recommended to me within five days of me going through my breakup and I've been on it now for probably three or four months, more than three months, and it is Mend. The app is called Mend, M-E-N-D, and it is designed for breakups and for burnouts, professional burnouts, and it is three minutes of your day every day. You um, lock in how you're feeling that day. You get an audio training, which is literally two to three minutes long. You get a journal prompt. And I cannot tell you enough how much this helped me, how much the things that I've worked through have come up in conversation with other people and then being tips that I've, or reflections that I've tried to share with other people going through very similar things without trying to be dictatorial or preaching too much about when I am being really evangelical about the app and it is a paid app but I 
would say that it is well worth the subscription fee. It is one that is a very highly regarded one. It's got some good research behind it and um, it's really helped me. So um, yeah, I would recommend Attached and also Mend. <laughs> I've also read Attached and I think I was, I think I wasn't one of the people who recommended it to you, but when you were like, oh, I've been given this book Attached and I was like, yes. It's the greatest thing I've ever read. So I th- I like that we're both on the same page about it. Yeah, and I really, I find, similarly to when you were like, when you've come across people who read Wolf Hall, <laughs> when you come across people who have read Attached, they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. I know, I know what you're talking about. I know the language. And I haven't jumped in with anything because I think exactly what your friend said in those words do summarise. It just... Yeah, it's just a a really excellent way of putting language to feelings that you might have otherwise put assigned blame on. Yeah, because I think um, if you've gone through a couple of similar breakups, I think it's really easy to think I'm always going to go through this or I'm always going to pick people like this. And that just is not the case. And it just need not be. And um, also, it's not all on you. There are always two people in relationships. And even within a relationship, you can see positive change if you can communicate your needs and feelings. And um, yeah, I mean, we don't need to get pop psychology about it, but I just think, yeah, having spent at least half of my life feeling a little bit too much, it's just nice to read something that um, I've already seen the fruits of reading it in how I'm communicating with other people. And um, that's a really empowering and positive thing whether I'm single or in a relationship, I think that's a good, I think that's only a good thing. So yeah. I don't think there's a better note that we could end on. So as always, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love hearing from you. So if you follow us on Instagram, we're at threewheelingpod. We just put up all our tiles of all our recommendations. So we'd love it if you came and gave us a follow there. And then we also have our email, which is Laurel. Threewheelingpod at gmail.com. Please send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.